0: Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote.
1: Well, hi everybody. On this episode of Looking Forward, we're going to speak about something most of us love to talk about, food. It's my pleasure today to welcome an expert on cooking, eating, and dining trends. He's Dave Joachim, and let me just tell you briefly about Dave. He's got a very impressive background for this topic. Dave has authored, edited, or collaborated on more than 50 cookbooks, including The Science of Good Food as well as A Man, A Can, and A Plan. I love that, Dave. A series of cookbooks that have sold more than one million copies. Congratulations. He's got another um, book out now, Mastering Bread. It's, it's part of a volume in a series that he's written. And he has been working with a famous Philadelphia chef, Mark Vetri, on that particular book. And if Dave isn't doing enough, he's co-writing the food science column for Fine Cooking Magazine. He's been doing that since 2011. And he's also the editorial director of, get this, AmazonRibs.com, which is the world's largest barbecue website. Who knew? Anyway, Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us on Looking Forward. Thank you, Jeff. Now, Dave, if you could tell us just a little bit about yourself. I mean, what a wonderful... Uh, area of expertise you have, something we all like to talk about. How did you become interested in cooking and writing and editing cookbooks and covering food trends, and
2: and when and why did you actually do that? Well, I've been a food writer since 1992, started on a food magazine back then, but didn't really head into a food writing career. You know, I don't think anyone says, hey, I'm going to – well, now actually you can do that, but, but yeah. this was back in the 80s. You couldn't say, hey, I want to be a food writer and then go to school for – learning how to be a food writer. But the food interest started very young, good family influences, great food growing up. My parents actually had a CSA, community supported agriculture farm in the early 80s. So that was very influential. But I started out just washing dishes and line cooking at a few jobs just to make money. Considered a chef career, but decided against it. And actually decided on a career as a college professor, so I got a master's degree in English and taught college English for a few years, but I was young, and I didn't really like it, and I missed the food, so I went back to food through food writing. That's how those two combined, so my yeah, loves sense. of food and words serendipitously came together, yeah. and it's been fantastic, uh, so like I said, since 90, 1992, I have been a food writer, magazines, books, um, the website that you mentioned, uh, amazingribs.com. So now I have a new venture called digestthis.news. We've been publishing since uh, May of this year. And this is a food news website that gives you all of the top line food news in every category you can imagine from farming to restaurants to home cooking in one easy reading email. That's the whole point of it. Um, So I've been doing various types of food writing for, uh, I guess it's about 30 years, almost 30 years now. Wow. Wow. Well,
1: that's, um, it's an interesting way that you got into the business. And uh, I think that a lot of people might want to think about that, if particularly younger people that are listening, because sometimes it makes a lot of sense to combine two areas of interest if you can, and you you've managed to do that.
2: Well, you know, the food world touches every aspect of life. And this is one thing that opened my eyes when I started this career is that there are so many different jobs related to food. Just think about all that's involved in getting, I don't know, an Oreo to your mouth. There is not only the grain that was grown to produce the, the wheat and then to mill it and then to mix it into a dough or batter and bake it into a cookie and then to package it and to ship it and to market it and to sell it in a grocery store and for you to then buy it and and eat it. And maybe you're using it in a certain recipe, like you crush it up and use it as a, a, a crust for a pie or something. Sure. Or mix it into dirt cake is a popular thing to do with Oreo cookies. Okay. Um so that you can see all along that chain there are thousands of jobs related to food so if someone is is really interested in marketing for instance but they love food there is a huge number of jobs in food marketing from marketing restaurants to marketing food products to um studying uh, the effects of uh demographic change on on food marketing there are lots of careers now in forecasting food trends uh, so there's, there's just so much that you can do that's related to food.
1: Well, I'm glad you pointed that out. We may come back to that as well a little bit later. I want to come back to something that you have already mentioned, Dave, which is digest this. Um, and, and actually, even before that, you're in the Philadelphia area, just so we can let people know where, where you're based.
2: Yes, I am. I actually grew up in New Jersey, northeast New Jersey, and uh, went to school in uh, north, um, northern Pennsylvania, about an hour north of Philadelphia. I moved around a bit, but ended up back in that area. So I now live about an hour north of Philadelphia. Okay, just south of uh, of Allentown in the Lehigh Valley. Sure,
1: Lehigh Valley, absolutely. Now digest this. Sounds like a, a wonderful newsletter. Is this something that would be of interest to the general consumer? or is this more focused on those people who make up that gigantic food industry that you just talked about?
2: Um, I would say everyone. We have categories for cooking, which a lot of people are doing these days, especially now that they can't get to their favorite restaurants or are just starting to tiptoe back to them. Um, So we have categories of food news for cooking, which is of interest to everyday people. Um, Things on like meat shortages, something that people were concerned about. Cheese prices is uh, a story that we just published this week about how cheese prices have swung from near 20-year lows to now record highs because of the supply chain disruptions we've had in the food world. So you can see where I'm going with this. I mean, there are stories in food news, just like there are jobs in food, that will be of interest to just about anyone in any facet of, uh, of of industry, not just the food industry per se, but we do publish stories regularly on chefs and restaurants, on farming and the environment, on the supply chain, on regulations and food safety, on beverages, um, on cooking, as I mentioned. Um, so there's, there's just so much there. Uh, I do think that it's uh, of value to a wide range of people and particularly because what I'm doing is curating, even though I don't like that word, mm-hmm. I, I am selecting the best of the best, the top line food stories from such a wide variety of publications that I'm doing the work that you don't need to do, uh, picking through to find out the good bits in the food news. You know, I'm not publishing stories on Florida Man, Rob's convenience store for <laughs> a pack of Oreos. You know, yeah. this is substantial <laughs> food news. Right that uh, will potentially affect your life or or the future in some way, or just be of interest. Uh, So I read more than 50 different publications every morning, everything from the New York Times um, and other big newspapers like Chicago Tribune. uh, And I try to to read both left-leaning and right-leaning newspapers. And it's been interesting to see how the same story gets reported in different ways. (laughs) But I also read obscure journals like the Institute of Food Technologists' newsletter. Uh, and journal. Um, so there's a wide variety of publications that are leading to DigestThis News and and the the categories of food news that are available there.
1: Well, before we leave Digest News, I want to ask you one other question. You may mention it again at the end, and that is, I might have. Well, do people subscribe to
2: Digest News? How does that work? Right. So it's just, it's a free weekly email newsletter. Okay. So the subscription. Free. Cost Everybody much. hear that? Free. It is free. Um, all you need to do is just put in your email address so we can send it to you. Uh, and it, it delivers once a week, every Tuesday morning in your inbox, a very cleanly designed, easy to read newsletter that you can zip through quickly. Or if you're interested in a deeper dive in the story, you can click through the link and go to the Digest This News website where all the stories are, and or you can click through to the original publication source from there. So what I do is include several sources too. So cheese prices will go back to. This is a story in the, in the retail world, but also in the wholesale world. Yeah. Um, several publications reported on this, and I include links to all of them. So if you don't have a subscription to the New York Times, for instance, you can get the story for free on something like uh, CNN or another free news service. Dave, um, we're going
1: to have to have you back to talk about speed reading. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how you're doing this, but you, you did. See, this is where the English degree comes in. I, was I, how... <laughs> to say, I don't know how you're keeping up with all these publications. It's mind boggling to me. But if it sounds like if somebody's a foodie, um in any sense and there's millions of foodies they would have to want to i'm going to subscribe to it. i mean there's to, it's, it sounds fascinating uh, and we're going to get in deeper not so much with the digest but things it might cover as we go along here dave this is you know it, on on uh, looking forward we really try to focus on trends things that are happening in society in the marketplace and what they, not only what's happening now, but where we might go, and we'll get to where we might go later. But for right now, kind of a flashback, Dave, the last 10 years, you've been in this for a long, long time, but let's just take the last 10 years pre-COVID, okay? Well, we'll kind be right. pre-COVID. What are some of the, the most important trends that you've seen in terms of eating and dining over the past decade that would be of interest to our listeners?
2: Well, one thing that always changes in the food world is the search for new flavors. This is ongoing, has been for a long time. And you see it played out decade after decade in the types of foods that are being sold and being eaten and being put on menus. Sriracha, for instance. I'm sure you saw sriracha a few years ago just pop up. And now there's sriracha everything. There's sriracha mayo. There's Someone's (laughs) got their sriracha burger at their restaurant. But this is part of a long-term trend for flavor. And what makes it available is global commerce. So there are several types of foods that are now available in U.S. markets that were not before. Just think back to the 80s or 90s. or if you, if, you, if you were just a toddler then, here's what was going on. Pesto was unknown in the United States. Pesto, okay, the right. most like mild, flavorful, ubiquitous thing you could think of now. <laughs> unknown yeah. in the United yeah. States. Yeah. Food importers brought it from Italy to the U.S. and now it is super popular and ubiquitous. The same thing is happening with other foods and ingredients from other parts of the world, particularly from more far-flung parts of the world in asia for instance that's why sriracha is so popular now so and by way of example in the mid 90s sales of salsa surpassed those of ketchup wow. ketchup was america's favorite condiment in the mid 90s salsa became wow. america's favorite condiment and then you saw things like sriracha and other chili peppers like chipotle become super popular this is because people want flavor like i was saying their uh, chili peppers and various forms of chili products will always pop up in food trends because people want those flavors. What's the hot one now? Gojujang. That that is what a is Korean it, Dave? What is Go, that again? Gojujang. It's a it's a Korean pepper paste. It's a I, I every every culture has its chili pepper condiment of some kind. It's yes. it's a a paste, a sauce. Uh you know, we have Tabasco. Um, so there's all kinds of spicy condiments around the world, and they will continue to be popular in food trends. But this is a, like a mega trend toward spicier, more flavorful food. And it is part of the ongoing globalization of our food culture and the mixing of cuisines and cultures. That just happens naturally with uh, travel and uh, the interest in expanding your palate. It happens not just in the U.S. I mean, that happens like in China, Italian restaurants are really popular because wow. they're very foreign, but they're familiar because of the noodles. Yeah. So <laughs> that makes so, sense. That makes sense. sense. Right. So, I mean, this happens around the world. So that that's one of those global trends. Um, I mean, another thing that has been building for decades is the, um, the trend toward eating more vegetables, more plant-based eating. I mean, you you, you know, in the 60s, there was a big movement to um, to just eat natural organic foods, uh, much more awareness about where your food came from. This has grown and developed into the farm-to-table movement in restaurants, um, the proliferation of organic products. But the, the idea of trying to Feed your body uh, good food that is not going to hurt you because we're all afraid of getting sick, getting cancer, getting heart disease. Um, you know, this is another mega trend. So, plant based eating is part of that and has now exploded with the proliferation of plant based meat products out there. People want their familiar burgers, but they don't want them to kill them. <laughs> you yeah, know, right. they want to they eat well and not die from it. Right. Killing Uh, plants is okay, but let's not kill animals. Right. And I have other thoughts about that too. But um, anyway, the plant-based meat products, those are just skyrocketing. I jotted down a couple of stats here just so I could uh, show you how they're proliferating. I'm sure you've heard of Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat. Um, So during the four-week period from April 12th to May 9th of this year, sales of all plant-based meat substitutes were 35% higher. Uh, than in January. That's according wow. to Gielsen. Um, But Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat, th- those two have pushed really hard into the fast food industry and into grocery stores. Impossible Foods products are now sold in more than 3,000 stores around the country, and that's up from just 200 in January. Wow. And this is not just COVID related, they yeah. had these deals in place well before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, Beyond Meat, uh, their revenue now is um, net revenue is 97 million in the first quarter of this year. Wow. That's an increase of 141% over the last year. That's their crazy. products are now in 25,000 grocery stores nationwide. So That's you can incredible. see be- these products are just everywhere because of what I was saying. People want their familiar favorites, but they want them healthy. They know that meat production is. It can be, uh it can take a toll on the environment, so they just want a, a, a more sustainable, healthy choice. Those are, those are
1: great examples. A couple of comments and then a question as a follow-up. A comment, two comments. One is a, a good friend of mine who unfortunately passed away last year has two sons who started a vegan business. And they're in the D.C. area, and they've been doing wonderfully. Going to stores with their pre-prepared or prepared foods, and they're getting into supermarkets, and that's a whole area. And the other thing is, I'll tell you how far back I go, Dave. I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, and back in the in the fifties and sixties, we were eating bagels. Nobody knew what a bagel was, right? <laughs> now, you laugh, right? A bagel, right? Yeah. You know, you go, you probably go to China and get a bagel. I mean, that's just that's just the way it is these days. So, what I want to ask you about one more with the trends. Uh, well, make a comment, and then maybe you can jump on that and the question. The the comment is also there's this plethora of diets out there, millions of different kinds of diets, which can low carb diets, and I'll let you talk about the. Million. And then the other thing is the, the movement towards more organic. It continues, more organic. I'm buying more organic. So if you can talk briefly a little about, about the variety of diets, how that's changed, and also about what's, is organic really growing, or am I an oddball in that
2: I'm one of the new people on the block, or there are many new people on the block? Here's what I have to say about diets. And this is coming from someone who focused on healthy cooking exclusively for the first 20 years of his food career. Forget them, forget them. You know what a diet is? A diet is what you eat. A diet is, is what you eat. The biggest things that are gonna influence your health are your habits, not what you eat today, not what you had for breakfast, not what you eat tomorrow. It's what you do daily, what you do over the course of months and years in your life. So it's patterns, it's eating patterns. That's what's really going to affect your health. If you're overweight and you're trying to lose weight, which is why most people turn to some magic bullet diet, whether it's a low carb diet or they, even Weight Watchers, you know, that the bottom line still is that if you want to lose weight, you need to eat less and move more. It's still, it's still the equation. And the reason the diet industry, and it's an industry now, is so huge, is that that's hard to do. Changing your behavior is hard to do, but that's what needs to happen. You need to maybe retrain your palate to like less sugary foods. Try to have a less sugary drink. If you're used to having soda, try something with less sugar, or maybe some tea or something, a little honey in it, and, and then just wean yourself off of these foods that are packing on the calories. That I mean, it's it's so simple, um, but it is very difficult to do. Uh, so that's that's all I'll say about diets. Um, the other question about organic uh, production, the I think the bottom line with that is that in America we are fantastic at industrialization. We have made the production of cars and other products efficient. Uh, profitable, it's just beautiful economic products. Unfortunately, when we applied that model to food, the sacrifice in the quality of the food uh, was detrimental because let's face it, cars are not food. We eat food. It affects our health. It, 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 we are taking in these nutrients. And if the food was grown in such a way to make it more profitable, that there are fewer nutrients in it, then we're taking in fewer nutrients in the food. So I think, again, just to boil a very complex (laughs) topic down, um, we have realized that uh, large-scale industrial farming does come with consequences for the quality of the food, does come with consequences for the health of our soil. uh, And it is not as sustainable as we thought it might be whereas you can sustain that sort of production when you're producing something like cars. Um, our The toll on uh, the quality of our food is just too great. Um, so there have been uh, movements, various movements in, um, in organic and biodynamic. Um, the USDA then codified what it meant to be organic. But uh, basically I think it comes down to growing food and raising animals more or less in tune with the natural environment rather than trying to extract those natural products from their natural environment. Uh, and those methods of production are just more sustainable and they produce uh, more nutritious food. So there are, there's a big trend, mega trend over several decades to uh, produce more and more of that food. And is organic food more expensive? Yes, but this is this is the real cost of food. Uh, you know, we have made very inexpensive, cheap food because it, it's it, it is low quality. It's it's you know it's there's no denying that uh, the nutrition you're getting from a Snackwell's cookie is just not as good as one made with uh, organic flour, and uh, so it's it's just there's a different products that you get from um, organic production. And industrial production.
1: That's excellent information. Now, just, just if you could add to that sort of a PS, are the numbers of people who are consuming organic continuing to grow or has that kind of flattened out?
2: You know, that's actually hard to say because organic is expensive. So in grocery stores, organic sales are, they're, they're continuing to grow, but it's slow. And it's because they're expensive and the almighty dollar is the the arbiter of everything. So, um, but people are buying more and more food from farmer's markets from the the type of producers that you mentioned, um, someone making a small local product and often those products are actually organic, but they're not labeled as such because it is so expensive to get the organic label on your product. Uh, and it's just not worth it for many producers. Yeah. So, so I think that sales of organic food are a little uh, misleading because there are many purchases that are just undetected as organic purchases.
1: That's interesting. I also want to add to that that from my own experience, as an example, I have a Walmart near me. Walmart is carrying more organic <laughs> fruits. Well, that's actually true.
2: Walmart is the country's largest purveyor of organic food.
1: Wow, I didn't know that. Yep. That's fascinating. Now, Dave, we could talk literally for an hour or more about COVID-19's impact. (laughs) I mean, and we we don't, unfortunately, we don't have the time to talk for an hour or more. There are other things we also want to get to. But I'm going to mention one thing and have you talk about that and then have you maybe pick one or two other things and, and just talk a little bit about that in terms of the impact of COVID-19 and some of the, like, we know the restaurants have been tremendously impacted and all that stuff. One, one area I want to ask you about is in the beginning, I'm going to say March, April it was very hard for me to find a place where I could pick up food and not have to wait, you know, weeks or, or two weeks. So I actually considered having stuff delivered to me by prepackaged meals because I live alone. So prepackaged meals. In the end, I decided not to do that because there were some openings and I started, well, I, I started doing something I hadn't been doing in the past. I picked up my food. That was a new thing for me, ordering it ahead and picking it up. Okay, so I'm interested in your thoughts about what's happening with those who deliver prepared meals. That, that's what I'm very interested in. And anything else that you would want to cite as being a major trend that's been caused by COVID-19?
2: Well, delivery is definitely here to stay. Um, It has been growing. Uh, I'm sure you've seen headlines about um, Grubhub and Uber Eats, and there was a large Dutch company called TakeawayFood.com that um, just bought Grubhub. So Uber Eats did not win there. And that was because of some antitrust regulations in the US. But since uh, the takeaway.com company is not a US company, they don't violate any of those antitrust laws. Um, So anyway, yes, there is consolidation and growth in the food delivery business for sure. And that will continue well beyond uh, the date that we get a vaccine, whenever that is, hopefully soon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) because let's face it, that's the only thing that's going to change what's happening. Yeah. Um, what's happening now is going to continue, uh, particularly with restaurants and the issue is, um, crowding. There's nothing you can do about restaurants are built on turning tables, packing in people bars, same thing. Um, And there's just no getting around the risks of uh, the coronavirus in crowded indoor places. Um, So food delivery will continue well beyond uh, the vaccine uh, development. I think that will continue to be um, a growth area. And why? Because the same reason that Amazon is growing People love getting stuff delivered. Oh, I don't have to get in my car and slept to the store to buy my food. Great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. so that is just going to continue. Essentially that trend had been building before COVID. And like many other areas, um, it just exacerbated it just like blew a hole open. And now delivery is ramping up more quickly than it would have if the coronavirus hadn't hit. Um but it will it will be here to stay. So food delivery is something that has was developing before the pandemic hit.
1: It will have you come back to other trends, but I just want to ask you to to split hairs here a little bit. We have the food delivery of the GrubHubs, that kind of just bringing food from a restaurant to you. But
2: mm-hmm. then you
1: have these companies out there that I was looking at who already prepare the meal some other place, like in Texas. And then they ship it to you.
2: What's what's happening yes. with them? Yes. So those sales are are continuing. Uh, so there's a company called Goldbelly that started selling uh, things like a famous barbecue restaurant's brisket from Texas, so you could buy it in Philadelphia. Um, that business was growing before the pandemic hit. Now it's exploded mm. because. Now people want their food delivered. Now they they realize they can get their food delivered. They can get restaurant meals. They they don't have to travel to some famous restaurant to taste their food. Gold belly is exploding. So this is part of a larger trend in direct-to-consumer sales. Direct-to-consumer sales is going to continue growing in the food space. And I jotted down a couple stats on this um, because, for instance, it was always a mystery how a prime steakhouse would be able to serve these amazing steaks and you couldn't get them at home maybe you do have the skills to grill a great steak at home but you just couldn't get that prime beef that really good cut well now you can because when the restaurants closed down prime meat purveyors like allen brothers porter road um they were selling direct to steakhouses that business dried up. So now they're selling direct to consumer. Wow. You can get those great steaks. Uh, Baldor Specialty Foods is a Bronx wholesaler that specializes in fine food products um, and was selling them mostly to restaurants through wholesale. Well, now they dropped their minimum order for delivery, for home delivery, uh, down to $200. They expanded their delivery area. They're they're based in the Bronx, but now they deliver all through the mid-Atlantic area. And you know these businesses, like every other, they're fighting to stay in business. Um, so these direct-to-consumer sales are going to continue well past COVID because even if those wholesale restaurant accounts come back, which they will, restaurants will rebound after the vaccine because people love going out to eat. And face, let's face it, they don't want to cook at home 24-7. Right. <laughs> um, but do you think that Baldor is going to give up this revenue stream that they developed over the past year? No, they're going to keep that going. Yeah. So, so I think that direct consumer sales will continue uh, in the fine food space for sure. Okay.
1: I know, again, there's probably many, but point to some other event or trend, maybe is the better word, that's occurring right now because of COVID-19 in the world that you focus on aside from the obvious one people aren't going out to eat restaurants or closing down or not opening up
2: or whatever. What's another one, Dave? Food waste.
1: Food Food waste waste
2: is another one. Um, So you probably heard stories about the euthanizing of pigs and the dumping of milk and the the plowing of potatoes back into the soil because this has been a supply chain issue. So uh, in food production there are two general chains there's the wholesale chain uh, big box packaging to restaurants food service schools hospitals um, and then there's retail packaging completely different su- supply chain with different infra- infrastructure and maybe the same or similar products are packaged for retail sales for consumers in grocery stores smaller packages individual package well when restaurants and schools closed, that whole supply chain was disrupted because they couldn't get the large volume of food to the people who were buying it. The restaurants and schools were no longer buying it. So they had these tons of product and they just couldn't get it to the people who were buying it, the consumers who would buy through grocery stores. So that's why there were shortages on store shelves. Because it wasn't that we didn't have the food, we just couldn't get it there. It wasn't It was a distribution issue. Mm. Um, part of so that's uh, a way of getting at this issue of food waste, which is something that was um, a pre a, it was a pre COVID issue as well, but again, just magnified and 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 really exposed as an issue uh, because of the pandemic. All of this food waste that occurred uh, because of the pandemic was just. Um, I mean, it was just tragic, uh, but even before that, the USDA estimated that 30 to 40% of the food supply in the United States is was wasted Um, eaten food, spoiled food, uh, trim that was wasted, um, and the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that the global economy loses more than $940 billion a year to food loss and food waste. So this has been an issue for a long time, and some of what's been happening is the upcycling of food. It's called. There's now an upcycled food association, which was formed in the in the past year, um, and this is part of the basic uh, reuse, reduce, recycle philosophy that's been around for a long time. Um, but now, f- foods that large volumes of foods, for instance, spent grains from the brewing industry. And we're talking Coors, Budweiser, you know, big brewing industry, large amounts of spent grains. Those may have gone to feed hogs or feed other livestock. Now there are other companies springing up to reuse that otherwise wasted food. There's a company called Regrained, which is using spent grains to create granola bars and other snack foods. Uh, So there are all sorts of companies like this that are springing up to help reduce the food waste because it's such a big global problem. And it's such a
1: shame because so many people go hungry, right? I mean, it's just... Yes. I mean, it's just, that's
2: a disconnect there, Dave. It is. And it's usually a distribution problem. It's not that the food can't be grown. It's getting it to the people who need it. How do you get it to people? Now, I
1: think this is a good jumping off point for you to look into the future You've already talked about, I think that we're going to see more home-delivered meals and, and more direct sales from from the wholesalers or the manufacturers directly to the consumers. When, hopefully it's when, they've we get the vaccine and things start returning to a new normal state, but better than the state we're in now, what would you in, imagine? Because that's all we can do. You know, a year ago, you and I wouldn't be t- talking about Covid, what is this, right? So, (laughs) so, so we realize that this is speculative, but at least it's there's some wisdom behind it. There's some knowledge in you behind it. So, what do you think we might see over the next five or ten years once we get beyond this in the in the food industry, in dining, in people's
2: eating of food? What what are some trends you might? I think overall, technology in food will become more and more acceptable. Um, as people understand the food safety a little better, they're a little more wary and cautious of things like salad bars. Um, food technology will become more and more acceptable, particularly now that you know, people are used to just opening their phone, going to a food delivery app and, and getting something delivered. Maybe they pay through their phone at a restaurant. Um, so I think the use of technology in food is, it will become more accepted. For instance, there is a, um, a food robot. There are lots of food robots out there. There huh. was actually, a, there's a restaurant, um, uh, a burger bot restaurant, which serves burgers in San Francisco and it's all completely automated. Uh, but there is a, a more popular uh, robot called Sally and Sally makes salad. salad is the, the Sally is gonna replace a lot of salad bars because it is more sanitary. It is faster, it is easier. Um, Sally mixes 22 different salad ingredients together, much like you would get at a Salad Works franchise. Uh, yeah. But Sally is essentially a vending machine, an automated salad vending machine. Um, you get fresh salad mixed to your specifications from your phone in a touchless transaction. Wow. Uh, you can just scan the QR code on this little kiosk and then much like you would at a Wawa, you just key in what you want your combination of foods to be, and then Sally mixes the salad for you. So I think that type of automation and technology in food will become more acceptable. I mean, people are a little skittish of it, but with the example of like Wawa, I think, and, and also what's happened with um, stay-at-home orders and the closing of restaurants, people will become more comfortable and familiar with dialing up food from their phones.
1: Wow anything else you see the restaurants coming back right you said restaurants will come back will they be different though i mean will we have new
2: kinds of restaurants new kinds of foods what? i do think they'll be different i think the salad bar will not survive um i, I don't think people will be comfortable with that for, yeah. and even though there's no evidence and and i should state this very clearly the cdc all health organizations around around the world agree that there is no credible evidence that the coronavirus is transmissible via food. It is a respiratory virus. It is like the flu. It's mostly droplets in the air. But I think people now have become very skittish of any shared utensils, any communal food bowl, like a dip or something like that. I, I just think that people will not return to that. They, they won't return to like a, a, a Chinese buffet, for instance, a smorgasbord. It's just seen as a risk. Uh, so that will change. But restaurants in general, I think, will definitely bounce back. There's no doubt that people don't love cooking overall. They don't love it. Um, someone told me a, a long time ago, this was in the mid-90s, they said, you know, you should find another career. Cooking is going the way of sewing. <laughs> and you know what they were kind of right i mean people have an immense interest in food now there is so much information about food available yeah. which is why i started digest this news because i'm sifting through it to get you the good stuff um but our knowledge of food has grown exponentially with the food network and all of these shows on netflix that are uh run by chefs and they're focused on food they're expanding our food knowledge so much but I think that is in lieu of cooking. People like to know about food, but they don't actually like to make food. It's, it's not an enjoyable process for some reason. Um, so they'll be glad to have someone else cook for them once a vaccine is found. They will definitely go back to restaurants. And the social aspect of dining in a restaurant is, is undeniably human. I mean, people crave that connection. Uh, How will restaurants change? I think the communal table will definitely go away or um, it will transform salad bars and shared spaces like that will become, uh, they'll adjust so people feel comfortable. The main thing is that the restaurant delivers the experience that people want, but the safe confidence that they expect in a post-COVID world.
1: Okay. Dave, you know, a, a couple of comments on what you just said. First of all, you've broken my heart. And I know you didn't mean to do that, but I'm putting in a plug here for a restaurant in uh, the Sarasota area that's in many states around the country called Sweet Tomatoes. Oh. And And when I go down to Florida, we don't have them in Pennsylvania. So I can't wait to get down to Florida and get in that salad line at Sweet Tomatoes, get their wonderful salads and their soups. And you're
2: telling me they're not going to make it, which, you know, Hey, I know nobody knows for sure, but that. that well, actually, mind. actually this one is for sure. They have closed permanently. Oh, they've
1: closed permanently. They have
2: closed permanently. soup plantation and sweet tomatoes, yeah. which are owned by the same company. Yes. And they have closed permanently. Wow. Yeah. COVID did, I
1: mean, COVID did them in
2: COVID, COVID did, them in. did them in. And it's because their business model is all buffet and yeah. it's, and you know what? I mean, this is, if you're looking for a business opportunity, this is it. Because people love food buffets. The the I don't know it's not a myth, but the dream of American choice, endless choice. It's the one thing that most people comment on when they come to an American grocery store from, say, Russia or anywhere else. Okay. Just the sheer number of products in the grocery yeah. stores amazing. and just the, the the choices you have, endless choices. Yeah. This is something that Americans take for granted that, that yeah. we have so much choice. So we love we absolutely love buffets. We love the Chinese buffet, the soup plantation, the salad works, the subway. You know, you know, yes, put together I can just look at all my options and you can put them together for me to my specifications, you know, my custom my custom sub sandwich, my custom salad. People still will buy food motivated by by that desire. How we execute that? in uh, a post-COVID world is the business opportunity. How will you create a Sweet Tomatoes type restaurant uh, that people feel safe going to, where they still have that that endless bounty of choice, but in a safe environment? I, I don't know what the answer is there, but that is definitely an opportunity.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, the other thing is, and by the way, you heard it here, people. You heard it here, so there's gonna be a lot of millionaires and billionaires made because of Dave here. Uh, but but I was going to say that maybe part of this is you don't go to a restaurant. you It's brought
2: to your house. <laughs> but that's a, it's another It story. could be. It could be. I mean, I think that um, the Wawa example is a salient one because people, uh, you know, they kind of quietly introduced those kiosks before you would just walk up to the employee and say, here's what I want. Um, and then they would write down your order and put it together. Now you keyed into a screen. I think, you know, that was done to to uh, increase productivity. Um, that is going to continue. That model will expand to other food businesses. So if you wanted to create a sweet tomatoes that people felt safe going to, it would be that model where you walk up to a kiosk of a screen and you see all your options there. And then employees in a safe environment put together your meal. but it's they the elimination.
1: I was just, I'm sorry. Let me ask you that aren't people going to be afraid to touch a screen that somebody else has touched?
2: Well, after there's a vaccine, I think after people there's a will vaccine. be okay. I think people will okay. be okay with that. But I yeah. mean, the easy workaround for that is you just do it on your phone. Okay. Yeah. You know, um, mm-hmm. but then we're getting into the area you talked about. Why do you have to go somewhere else to do this? Why can't you just key in your order on your phone and get it delivered instead of having to go to the restaurant? Good question. Maybe that is the model. And ghost kitchens are something that are proliferating. They were already starting to gain ground in the restaurant world. Now, ghost kitchens are essentially a restaurant without a building, without a a public-facing facility. Wow. So it is essentially a brand, a menu, accessible online, great food delivered to you, but no place for you to go. So that's the ghost kitchen it's a, or a ghost restaurant. The restaurant is not a public facility that you go and have dinner in. It is a brand whose food you love and you order their food and it's delivered to you. And it's a great model for the restaurant industry because it lowers the overhead. Um, now, I don't think that that's gonna replace a traditional restaurant because as we said, like, people love getting together to socialize. But Ghost Kitchens will definitely continue um, as, as a trend.
1: Okay. I just, I, this, this, this is great stuff. I just wanted to add something that a lot of people who are listening may not remember. There was a very popular show back in the 60s called Bonanza. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people who don't remember it when it came out will at least maybe have seen reruns or at least heard about Bonanza. There, there was a cook. The boys from Bonanza, the family, the Cartwright family, had a cook, and the cook's name was Hop Singh. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to my girlfriend, who does not live with me, I I live by myself, boy, do I wish Hop Singh were here tonight to make my dinner, because I don't
2: (laughs) want to make dinner. It's like the last thing I want to do is have to stop and make my dinner. Well, you know, that's actually increasing, too. There is a, a personal chef association. Uh, personal chefing is something that goes kind of undetected because uh, it's often wealthy clients who um, don't want to lose their chef to someone else, so they're a bit protective, uh, but they may not want to advertise that they have a personal chef for one reason or another. So personal chefing is kind of flown under the radar, but there is a personal chef association, and that industry is definitely growing. Wow. Uh, where Because uh, someone like you, maybe you don't want... To, Let's face it, French fries don't deliver in a, in a takeout box. They just don't survive very well. So if you want any kind of fried food at home and you don't want to make it yourself, um, a personal chef is the answer. And I think that, that that definition is going to expand. personal chef may not be someone who's personal to you that is employed just by you, But maybe it's a a, a traveling chef, a roving chef, a a mobile chef. Um, I think that industry is going to continue. Where someone comes to your home and makes a fantastic meal in your house, and maybe they prepare a few things ahead, uh, partially prepare ahead, um, but they create the meal in your house and plate it for you and present a beautiful restaurant-quality dinner uh, in your home, that service will definitely continue.
1: Boy, Dave, that's a fascinating one, I really think. That's a great springboard for one other thing I want to ask you before we get to having you talk a little bit more about how people can get in touch with you. And you've touched on this a couple of times now, and that is a lot of people out of work, unfortunately. A lot of people like me, semi-retired, maybe looking for something new to do vast numbers of people who may be thinking about changing their career. And then all those students, whether they're in college or they're going to be in college, you talked about the food industry and all the ramifications and the different tentacles that are part of the food industry. Speak beyond the salads that we were talking about, maybe a salad service or the personal chef, What opportunities would you suggest? Again, I know you could probably talk for at least an hour on this, but what are some of the great opportunities you you would see for people who are coming at this from different vantage
2: points over the next five or 10 years after the the vaccine? Well, uh, there's an immediate new job that restaurants have as a new job category created, and it is sanitation manager. I don't know if you've been back out to eat now, but There are requirements to wipe down tables, to wipe doorknobs, to clean uh, bathrooms more frequently. Uh, McDonald's has a a whole protocol uh, guide that's been sent to all their franchisees. And it has opened up new job opportunities in food service around sanitation. Uh, So that's an immediate job opening uh, and it is related to COVID, but it will continue after that again, because people want the reassurance of safety and sanitation when they're going out. But I think that the biggest opportunities in the food world are, are what we touched on before is solving this problem of restaurants. Right now, restaurants are a problem. They can't open, yet they are central to not only the human experience, but to our economy Restaurants aren't just uh, supporting the restaurant industry. There's a whole chain of economies before and after the restaurant uh, dining experience. There is the, the farmer who may have a wholesale relationship with that restaurant, who is supplying them with produce or pork or beef or fish. If the restaurant's closed, what is that far- how is that farmer making a living? They're the food packagers who are creating food products that restaurants use. Um, If restaurants aren't buying them, where where are those foods, uh, how are they being produced and getting to people? And so here's the problem is that people need to eat. They always need to eat. They probably don't want to cook every meal at home. They need to get their food away from the home somehow. And let's face it, food delivery is great, but you need to get out of the house too. So how do you solve this problem of restaurants? That I think is the big business opportunity. And again, it's a matter of making people feel safe, giving them the experience that they love of a restaurant, the social experience, the communal experience, but also the space to focus on the people you're dining with. That's one of the greatest things about a restaurant is that almost everything else disappears in your world and you're just focused on the people at the table. Yes. And you have a great experience with them, and you have a, a memorable evening. That is what most restaurateurs are trying to create. So, how do you do that now? <laughs> how do it's you give people? <laughs> how do you give people that great, safe space and and beautiful food, uh, so they can just have a memorable, enjoyable evening? Uh, it's it's a tough one. I don't know, but that's where the big opportunity I think is. And then again, in the fast casual space of restaurants. Um, providing something like sweet tomatoes, where there's endless choice in a safe environment. How do you do that? I think there's huge opportunity there. And if you're interested in some kind of food career, I talked about all of the the different facets of of the economy and various industries that uh, are food industries, the farming industry, um, food packaging, food technology, food science is a a huge field and if you're scientifically inclined you could work for a company that develops flavors you develop flavors for Lay's potato chips oh people are interested in sriracha how do we get that into a potato chip because sriracha is a wet ingredient but potato chips are dry so you know there's a whole field of food science that creates flavors for food product companies um but just going down that chain again that um food packaging, food product, uh, marketing, uh, restaurants, there is a book out called food jobs, which really shows you the breadth of, of available careers in the food world. And, you know, that's calling it the food world is, is a big umbrella term. I mean, these are jobs in marketing. These are jobs in food production. Um, these are jobs in sanitation. These are, so they're, they're related to food, but I, I say that they're part of the, the larger food world. But think about it. I mean, something that you have to do several times a day, every day, it's going to affect every facet of human life. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so, so there are tons of food jobs out there. If you're looking for some kind of a career, uh, let's say, you know, you're retired and looking for something light to do, Maybe that idea of being uh, the sanitation manager at a restaurant, and not necessarily a McDonald's or fast food place, but um, even uh, a fine dining restaurant is going to have to uh, follow the regulations in order to reopen, and this is a new career opportunity that's come up. Or if you're a young person who is just heading into a career and you think that you know somewhere in food would be good for you. Um, check out that book, Food Jobs, because it really does show you everything that's available. You could be someone who designs the centerpieces for restaurant. Restaurant design is, is a, a field unto itself related to architecture. Dave, the book, Food Jobs, is that something that people could find out about through your website, or how do they find out about it? Uh, so Food Jobs Act- was written by a colleague of mine. Her name's Arena Chalmers. She passed away, unfortunately, earlier this year. Um, But you can find food jobs at uh, any bookstore, Uh, amazon.com. You can find it or just uh, any bookstore. Quick follow-up to that, uh, not about
1: food jobs, but, well, I guess it is about food jobs, actually. You alluded to robots making salads and the restaurant in San Francisco. Are robots going to take away jobs from people who work at fast food restaurants, even beyond the vaccine? Or is the robot presence in food not going to be all that great?
2: Um, I think the first answer is yes. I mean, obviously, it will take away some jobs. If somebody was flipping the burgers and then a robot's going to flip them, that's taking away a job. But there are other jobs that are opening up that robots can't do. Like uh, uh, right now, anyway, a robot can't um, effectively sanitize a doorknob or uh, a table and lift all of the plates and glassware. So, there are other opportunities for things that robots can't do. Um, will it replace human jobs? No, in the food world. It's not going to permanently replace them. I just think that food automation will become more acceptable, and, it, and it's cheaper uh, in certain cases. But that's not going to affect all f- food jobs, you know. It, people just think too far ahead. They think, oh, my God, food robots are going to take all the human jobs and you know, there's not going to be any people in a restaurant anymore. It's just going to be robots making my dinner. Well, that's <laughs> probably never going to happen. And if it is, it's way, way in the future. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can't
1: possibly worry about that. I was just thinking in terms of all those jobs that uh, fast food restaurants, as an example, have provided over the years to young people. And I just hope that there'll be other kinds of jobs that young people will be able
2: to avail themselves of in the industry, let's say. There will be, there will be. And there's no evidence that, uh, like that burger bot that I mentioned, uh, McDonald's is not instituting the burger bot in its restaurant anytime soon.
1: Dave, this has been uh, fantastic. The information is great. The predictions are great. The only thing we're not going to do today is have you give us the name of stocks we should buy, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that in another, in another <laughs> interview. Um, but what I would like you to do now is just let the audience know how they can uh, reach you if they want to learn more about you, about Digest This newsletter,
2: your cookbooks, and anything else that you're doing now that uh, you would want them to know about. Yeah, well, digestthis.news, that is the website. So it's digestthis.news, it's not .com. Um, You can go there to sign up for the newsletter. Again, all you need to do is put in your email. It is a free weekly newsletter. So if you're interested in the food world in any facet, this is a great way to stay on top of what's happening from week to week. So that's digestthis.news. And then you can find me at my website, which is davejoacom.com. That's D-A-V-E. J-O-A-C-H-I-M.com. You can read about my band that you mentioned earlier. You can read about um, cookbooks that I've done. Uh, So I love cookbooks, and they have been the main focus of my career. The latest one that you mentioned, uh, Mastering Bread, is part of a series uh, with Mastering Pasta and Mastering Pizza also in it that I've written with the Philadelphia chef, Mark Vetri. So that book, Mastering Bread, is coming out this fall. And that's been a trend is the baking trend has been very popular, uh, so much that we had a yeast shortage earlier this year because people were baking so much. So hopefully that continues into the fall when Mastering Bread comes out. Yeah,
1: I I hope so. And I would also say for anybody who's thinking about subscribing for free to uh, Dave's newsletter, Digest This, I think it would be a great conversation piece. You could probably pick out a couple stories that Dave's written about, and. Sound like you're the brightest person in the world,
2: you know? Like that's did you kind know of the, the idea. cheese
1: prices have doubled in <laughs> in Hong Kong. <laughs> it's like
2: wow. That's, that's kind of the idea of this. Uh, the little summaries that, that I write for the newsletter, I try to pick out the statistic, the fact, the research, the really useful nugget so you can share that at a cocktail party or just be informed so, so you know what's happening in the food world. So you can expect, and you, maybe you haven't noticed this, but cheese prices have actually gone up. So if you go to buy a bag of mozzarella at your local store, you realize, oh, this is now $5. Wait, wasn't it just two fifty? dollars Wow. So, so you understand why. Well, I do know, as we conclude, that we have to have you come back not
1: only to give us the stocks to buy, Dave, but your speed reading course. (laughs) That's unbelievable. Anyway, Dave, thank you so much for being on Looking Forward. Thank you, Jeff.
2: It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff, inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.